Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. Hey, good morning. It's great to see you. Good to be with you. If you've got a Bible, would you open to Mark chapter 5? Um, now, while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever heard someone say, sometimes God works in surprising ways? Yes, and all the graduated seniors now say amen. Uh, It's absolutely true, um, though I would say it's probably something of an understatement. What we see in the pages of the Bible is that God often works in ways that surprise people. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, um, you have, I'm sure, seen that God will work in your life in ways that will surprise you at times. And I would say that's particularly true of God's timing, Um, Have you ever prayed for something um, and fully thought this is the best time to answer this prayer and God disagreed? Anyone ever been there? Anyone ever been perplexed by the timing of God? Hey, I know you're able. Your word says this is something that you value and I'm asking. And yet what's going on here? I'm confused by your timing. Anyone been there? Okay, so we've got a few people. We've got a few honest people. The rest of you, it's church. It's okay. Uh, you're in a good spot. We're a gracious culture here. Uh, what we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of Mark this morning is really a story uh, that's a lot about that. We're going to see um, how Jesus's timing um, is not always what we would prefer, um, but it's always what we need. And so if you're one of the people that raised your hands, like been there, or if you just didn't raise your hand, but you have been there, uh, then let's, and, and, and if maybe you're not in one of those groups, then turn here so you can help the rest of us, okay? Mark chapter five, we're gonna see uh, the timing of Jesus and how, though it's not what we'd always expect, he, it is always what we need. Mark chapter five, we'll pick it up in verse 21, it says this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, A great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, asking, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Um, So Jesus travels back across the Sea of Galilee. If you weren't here last week, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee into uh, the Gentile region. That's where the the other people live, the people, you know, with issues. It was very different over there. Um, This would be like going from California to Texas. And I'm not saying which one's Galilee, which one's uh, Judea. You can fill that one in for yourself. The big idea is it's very different. The people live very differently in those two places. And yet Jesus does what he so often does is he transcends cultural barriers. He transcends ethnicity and culture, and he moves from one place to the next because Jesus wants to reach all people. And so there he is in this region last week of the Gentiles, and he gets there and there's an army of demons waiting for him because, you know, the Gentiles are messed up. Like in Judea, they've got a demon here or there, but they've got a legion built up on the shore over there. Um, And I'm not sure you should really brag about the difference. Like, well, in Judea, we see a demon or two here over there. They've got an army. The the idea is we're all messed up. We all need Jesus. So Jesus goes across the sea and he uh, does battle with an army of demons. And he doesn't argue with them. They basically beg him, hey, please don't torture us as you send us out of the region. Because you are the son of God. You have authority. You are the king. And so Jesus delivers this man in this Gentile region. And now what Mark tells us is he gets back into the boat and crosses back to the other side, meaning he's back on home turf. 
And when Jesus gets back, um, it says that there is a ruler from the synagogue when he gets out of the boat there to meet him. Now, if you have been with us so far, um, your radar should be going off. You should say, "Uh uh-oh. Everyone say, "Uh uh-oh with me. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, that's very perceptive of you because we've said this a few times throughout Mark's gospel, the greatest resistance to Jesus, it doesn't come from the demons. It doesn't come from the kind of rank sinners in society. What we see in Mark is the greatest source of resistance comes from the religious people. And so Jesus has just done battle with an army of demons. He gets in the boat, he comes back to home turf, and here comes this religious leader. Uh Uh-oh. And... And yet, this guy, Jairus, he doesn't start attacking Jesus. What Mark tells us is he bows before Jesus. Um, And Mark tells us why. Um, Mark says that he has a little girl and she's at the point of death. Now, um, as a dad of three girls, let me just say, having daughters is the best. If you're a dude here, sorry. Having daughters is just, objectively speaking, the best. Like, I... um, Having little girls to care for has drawn out my heart and softened my soul in needed ways that I could have never imagined before God gave me girls. Like, I I love having daughters. If if you've had that honor, that pleasure, you know um, what a gift it is to have girls. I absolutely love getting to have daughters. And so um, I read this guy's story, and he talks about this little girl. We're going to learn later on. She's 12 years old, so she's a young girl. Um, When I see that uh, he says, my little girl is at the point of death, I can't imagine imagine anything worse than this. Because um, for as wonderful as it is to have daughters, it like puts your heart on the outside of your chest, and now you're vulnerable. And now the great enemy of humanity is coming for Jairus's little girl. Um, and and I, I pull this out for you because I want you to feel where this man is at, because if you, don't, if you can't put yourself in his shoes, you're going to completely miss what, um, the weight of what Jesus is doing here. Death, the great enemy of all humanity that comes for all of us, that, that uh, puts an end and separates us from the ones we love is coming for this guy's little girl. This is a desperate dad who is willing to do whatever it takes to help his little girl. And so in his desperation, he comes to Jesus. See, some of you, you're in here like this man this morning. Uh, you come in here and you're desperate this morning. And, and for you, maybe the details are different. Maybe it's not a sick child. Maybe it's a relationship that's not going well. Maybe it's a... Um, a job that's not going well. Maybe it is something going on with a child that's not going well. See, the details are always different. The details are always distinct, but the story is always the same, that you believe what you believe until your daughter gets sick. You believe what's comfortable until your world comes crashing down around you. And then you have to begin to sift out, okay, are the things that I'm building my life on actually able to sustain me when hard times come, or do they show up hollow and empty? This guy Jairus, as a leader in the synagogue, would have been a man of influence in the culture. He would have been a man of great means to be a leader in the synagogue. That was kind of the local church of the day. Um, He had to have had a a resume of kind of moral excellence. And so he has this great religious resume. He has all of these things, but none of that can do a single thing to help him when his daughter falls ill. And so Jairus, he's in this moment 
of his world is crashing down around him. And in that moment of desperation, he realizes these things can't provide the life I'm looking for. And so in desperation, he risks losing it all by going to Jesus. The one that the religious establishment has decided is the enemy. He goes to see Jesus because he believes, he has maybe heard the report about what Jesus has done. And he believes that Jesus can do something that none of these other things can do. And, and so if, you're, if that's where you're at this morning, I just wanna, I want to uh, say this, I want you to see yourself in this story, um, that when your world comes crashing down around you, uh, where you go in your desperation uh, will dictate the rest of your life. Um, everybody comes to moments of desperation. It's what it means to live in a broken world and to be frail humans. And in that moment of desperation, you can come to Jesus and find life like we're going to see in this story today. Or you can go elsewhere. And this man, Jairus, he has lived enough, he has seen enough to know that if I go anywhere else, I'm not going to find life. If I go to Jesus, maybe there's a chance to find life. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're desperate in here this morning, you're in the right place. You've come to the right place to hear the words of life. And that's what we're going to see in Jesus. I want you to notice Jesus's response. He doesn't say to Jairus like, oh, that's convenient. Now that your girl's sick, I'm not demon possessed anymore. Interesting how you guys kind of change teams on that one. He doesn't chide him. He, he says, okay, let's go. And he goes with him. I, I want you to see that. If you come in here desperate this morning and maybe you're thinking I've run from God too long. I, I don't know that he's going to be pleased after all that I've done that I would come back. I want you to see that no matter how long you are running away from God, he is always eager to give you grace if you would just come and say, come and help. Come, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Jairus, this religious leader, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, sure, let's go. Jesus is going to meet Jairus in this place, um, but he doesn't do it in the way Jairus, I think, would expect. Let's keep reading. Verse 24, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, don't you see the crowds pressing around you? And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You're saying, what does it have to do with Jairus? This is one of Mark's famous sandwiches where he's going to put another story in the middle of our story about Jairus and his little girl. And what I love about this story, um, what's grabbed me about this story is I love how Jesus is willing to be interrupted. Was anyone like, well, what about the little girl? We got to get to the little girl. Can you imagine maybe how Jairus is feeling? 
they're on the way. I have to imagine it's not like a leisurely stroll where they want to see all the coffee shops and all the diners on the way to Jairus' house. I have to imagine that they've got some, uh, they've got some uh, pace to their walk. They're, they're going. Jairus' little girl is dying. They're on the way. And yet, when this woman reaches out and touches Jesus, he stops and he welcomes this interruption. He draws her out into conversation. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I've, I've been putting myself in Jairus' shoes, and I'm just like, I'd be losing my mind. Like, Jesus, remember, little daughter, point of death. Like, is this really a time for a conversation? But Jesus allows himself to be interrupted, and he frankly welcomes an invitation, um, an interruption from this woman, because Jairus' little girl is not the only daughter in need of help on this day. Look at how Mark describes this woman. He says, she's had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, uh, gentlemen, this is the kind of thing that you and I just can't understand, and we need to ask the women in our life to help us understand what this would be like. Um, This woman has been on her period for 12 years. Um, I invite you to just gently ask for some insight of, can you tell me what that's like? Um, I literally can't imagine. Um, I I asked Karen about this. Um, I'm not sure she can imagine either, but this woman has been in great agony. This is not how the human body is made to work, and yet for 12 years, she's had a flow of blood. And it says that... um, it says that she has suffered much under many doctors, meaning she has tried to find healing. She's gone to different doctors. She has gone to different healers. She has spent all the money she has had. See, they took her money, but they couldn't fix her. Healthcare hasn't changed a ton since then. Um, but she has done everything she can to experience relief and healing, and no one on earth in more than a decade has been able to help her. This woman is suffering, and it's not just physical. Um, under the Old Testament law, anyone who had a discharge of blood was considered ceremonially unclean. Now, to our modern ears, that might sound harsh. Um, what, if, if you read it in its original context, what the ceremonial law, like this is the book of Leviticus that you always skip in your Bible reading plan. Um, what this law is trying to do is communicate two big things, really. Um, number one, it's to communicate that God loves us. And so if you're on the work site and you start bleeding and you get blood everywhere, God's like, you don't need to be around other people and get your blood all over them and get them sick. Like, I want you to live. I don't want you to contaminate everything. So that's the first thing the ceremonial law is trying to do is trying to keep Israel healthy, safe, and flourish. Um, But more than that, underneath that, really more important than that, what God is doing in the ceremonial system is he is teaching Israel that you can't come into my presence with any blemish. If you have any imperfection, any blemish, you cannot come into my presence. And and this isn't because God is mean. It's not because he's being nitpicky. Um, This is because God is holy, as we sang earlier. God is good. God is right. He is the essence of righteousness and justice and goodness. And I say this to you all the time, but true goodness cannot stand in the presence of evil without destroying it in order to restore goodness. It would be a wicked cop that lets a drunk driver go like, who am I to judge? Why don't you just go on out there and cause as much chaos as you can? 
No, God, in his goodness, in his holiness, when he comes in contact with evil that would cause brokenness into his world, he, by his very nature, destroys evil to restore goodness. And that's always good news when you are the victim. It's not good news when you're the one causing the evil. And so God doesn't want to destroy us. This is why he gives Israel the sacrificial system. This is why he gives them this whole system of ceremonial cleanliness. He's trying to teach them the seriousness of sin. You can't just stroll in here and say, well, I'm better than my neighbor next to me. God's like, I don't grade on a curve. No amount of injustice is okay with me. I'm restoring the whole world, not part of the world. And so he gives them the ceremonial system to teach them about the seriousness of sin and really to prepare Israel for the coming work of Jesus and how Jesus would, through his sacrificial death on the cross, wipe the sin off of us like wiping blood stain off of a person. Um, This is, if you want a big theological word, this is known as the doctrine of expiation, that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, um, wipes away our sin through his blood shed on the cross and makes us clean so that we can enter into the presence of God without being destroyed. See, this whole thing, it's fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is why we love Jesus so much. It doesn't matter how you come in here this morning. You feel like, oh, I might have stubbed my toe on the way in. I don't know. Can I be here? Yes, you can be here. This has all been fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why we're big Jesus fans here. But you need to recognize when this is happening. This is before the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so here's what that means for this woman. That means that God's people are still under this ceremonial system that is preparing the categories of atonement and expiation, of clean and unclean. And so what that means is for 12 years, she's been considered unclean. For 12 years, no one has touched her because to touch someone that was unclean would make you unclean. And then you would have to go outside of the congregation. You would have to go away from the people. And so I want you to put yourself in this woman's shoes now. For 12 years, no one has hugged her. For 12 years, no one has put their hands on her and prayed with her. For 12 years, she hasn't been able to gather in a crowd. Like we were less than 12 months not able to gather together and we lost our minds, right? For 12 years, she hasn't been able to gather with God's people at the temple to worship God. She hasn't been able to be in a crowd. She has been isolated. The only thing worse than physically suffering is being alone in your suffering. And that's this woman's story. She has no one to go through it with her, and she doesn't even have a gyrus to say to her, honey, don't you worry, you stay here, I'll go get Jesus. She is all alone, she is suffering, she is destitute, she is poor. She is also desperate like Jairus. And so she hears that Jesus is coming, and so she does something shocking. She ventures into the crowd, and, and I don't know how your imagination goes on this. I envision she might be getting down real low. Maybe she's crawling. Maybe she's just trying to get through because if they see her, it's going to be unclean. You can't be here. And so she's trying to work her way through this crowd saying, if I could just touch Jesus, then he'll make me better. And so she somehow gets through there. She's persistent. I don't know. 
she makes her way through this crowd that's thronging around Jesus. We said it earlier in Mark, envision Justin Bieber in a concert pre-COVID, just teenagers everywhere. And she makes it through the crowd and she reaches out her hand and touches him. Now, I want you to know this. She's breaking the law at this point. What she is doing is she's touching someone who's clean. That's supposed to make Jesus unclean. This is not something that you were supposed to do, but here's what happens in the story. Just spoiler alert, there's something so whole and right about Jesus that when someone who is unclean touches him, rather than making him unclean, something comes forth from him and pushes back into them and pushes out the uncleanliness. And so this woman, she reaches out her hand to touch Jesus, big old no-no. And it says the second that she touches him, immediately the flow of blood ceases. After 12 years, can you imagine what that would feel like? It says immediately she knew in her body that at the mere touch of his garment, Jesus has done what 12 years of the smartest human doctors and scientists on earth couldn't do. This is why we call him the great physician, by the way. We're grateful for science. We're grateful for God's common grace and what he can do through those things. We just don't ultimately put our hope in those things. We put our hope in the one who is the great physician who by his grace allows us any level of understanding. And at his touch, she is made well. And so then this woman does what maybe you, you're imagining she would do at this point. Um, this woman, she tries to duck out of there before anyone notices. Because again, she wasn't supposed to do this. And she knows, hey, I got what I came for. I got to get out of here. But Jesus didn't get what he came for. He's not having this whole touch and run thing. And so what Jesus does is he asks a question like Jesus so often does. He says, who touched me? And, and the disciples, um, God bless them. They answer much like I would, maybe much like you do. They're like, um, Jesus, I hate to tell you this, but Justin Bieber crowd, like the crowd's thronging you from all over. Which one of these thousands of people touched you or are you curious about? And furthermore, um, what about the little girl that's dying, Jesus? Like, are we really going to stop and talk to every person along the way? There's a little girl that's dying. We got to get going. But again, Jesus knows that there is a daughter in this crowd that needs healing every bit as much as Jairus' daughter. And so he says, who touched me? And, and everyone's confused except for this woman. She knows. This is where I'm like, she must have been really stealthy if Peter won like, it was her, Jesus. I don't know how she did it. She kind of got away stealth, but she didn't get away from Jesus. He says, who touches me? Because his questions, like they so often do, they're designed to draw us out. And so she realizes I'm not going to be able to get away. This whole uh, touch and heal and run thing, it isn't going to work. And so she comes forward with fear and trembling. What do you think she's expecting Jesus to say in this moment? What do you think she would have heard from people for the last 12 years if she ever accidentally bumped into them at the grocery store? What kind of things do you think came out of people's mouth when they saw her in public? What do you think she's expecting to hear from Jesus? She is trembling in fear before him. And Jesus looks her in the eye, picks up her face, and he says, daughter. Daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be healed of your suffering. Now, now you might say, wait, it, 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 didn't Mark already say that immediately the 
flow of blood ceased, that she knew she was healed. Why is Jesus telling her to go and be healed? But the point is this, that Jesus isn't a genie that doles out physical healings as if that is ultimate. That Jesus's ultimate purpose is to restore our hearts to a relationship with God. And yes, he will restore the physical creation, but all of that is on I mean, these are just glimpses of what he's going to do to restore the world. Jesus ultimately came to seek and to save the lost. And so he didn't want this woman to walk away with a physically healed body and a heart that was still far from God. And so he draws her out of the crowd and he calls her daughter. He gives her dignity and honor. And he says to her, your faith, the fact that you trusted that I could do something to save you, that is what has made you well. It wasn't some genie thing like you touched me and that was magical. It was that you trusted me that's made you well. And so go in peace. Go in shalom is, is the Hebrew word that they would have had for this idea of peace. It's not just the ceasing of conflict, but it's the presence of harmony and flourishing and life as it was made to be. He's saying What Jesus does is he doesn't just physically restore her, he relationally restores her, and he says it in front of the whole community so that everyone in that crowd would know, don't you say a thing about this woman because she's cool with Jesus, she's with him. Can you see why Jesus thought it necessary to stop? I mean, this woman's whole world has just been changed. She has been physically healed, She has now met the great physician for whom her soul was made, and he just went to bat with her against everyone in that crowd. I think that's why Jesus stopped. But then he keeps going. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, so so he's still speaking to this woman. While he was still speaking, they keep interrupting Jesus. There came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So there it is. Jairus's great fear. The delay took too long. His daughter's sickness has turned to death. And they even say, don't bother Jesus any further. Don't make him come down. Don't, don't bother the teacher. We've heard he's a great healer, but the time for healing, it's past. And Jesus' response, um, it's fascinating. Uh, we're so used to hearing Jesus say to believe that I think we miss how shocking it would be to be Jairus, You risk everything in desperation to go to Jesus. Jesus agrees and says, sure, I'll come with you. You're like, this is amazing. Jesus is going to heal my little girl. And then there's a delay along the way. And you're like, oh my goodness, Jesus, come on. This is very important. And then you get the news. It's too late. Your girl has died. I mean, what a roller coaster this man is on. And in the roller coaster of emotions that is his life, that is maybe your life, here's Jesus's words. Do not fear, because when life goes up and down, it is very easy to fear. Do not fear, only believe. What he's saying is, don't worry, you're with me. The the same faith that brought you to me, you need to keep going in that faith. That same trust that brought you to me and thought, I can help your daughter, it's that same faith you need to go deeper into now. 
See, there, there's a really similar story in John's gospel where two sisters uh, say to Jesus, hey, our brother's dying. And what John tells us, this is in John, I believe, chapter 11, if you want to read this with your family this week, with your roommates. Um, it says that Jesus loved them. And so he delayed two days. Jesus, our brother's dying. Jesus loved them. Okay, what are you expecting the next words are? So he got on his horse and he went. But it says Jesus loved them, so he delayed two days. See, we see this throughout the life of Jesus, that his sense of timing is different than our own. That while these sisters are saying, Jesus, you got to get here before he dies, while Jairus and all the people in his home are saying, you got to get here before my daughter dies, what Jesus is saying is my sense of timing is different and you can trust me. Don't worry about what's happening. You're with me. And so just like in John 11, what Jesus is doing here is he's not only ministering to this woman in the crowd, but he is now going to take Jairus's faith a little deeper. He's going to show him who he really is. And, and so the story continues. Verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, Dr. Luke, when he writes his account of this story, he's going to add in there, and I put the scripture reference in the worship guide if you want to check it out. He's going to add in there uh, eyewitness testimony that says, and oh, by the way, she really was dead. They laughed at him because they knew she, he was dead. She was dead. So uh, Luke's kind of type A like that. He really wants to get the details in there. Uh, what Mark is doing is he's telegraphing what Jesus is about to do. Jesus, they're, they're wailing, they're mourning. This little girl has died. And he says, why are you weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around the dead body of someone you love. But this is a devastating moment. Jesus gathers the family around, and there she is. Her body's cold. There's no breath coming out of her lungs. Jairus sees his greatest fears come to life. And Peter and James and John that have seen Jesus calm a storm, and fight an army of demons, they are now about to see Jesus go toe-to-toe -to -toe with his greatest foe yet. They are about to see Jesus go head-to-head -head with the great enemy of humanity, with death itself, the thing that doesn't turn backwards. This is why death is so painful. This is why people grieve and wail and mourn. And here Jesus is in the room with the family, with his closest disciples. And he gathers them around her body. And then he does what I have to imagine no one was expecting. He reaches out and he touches her by the hand. Um, this, this should have made him ceremonial unclean, just like touching the woman earlier. You can't touch dead bodies. But, but look at verse 41. Verse 41. 
Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. See, Jesus, there is something so holy. There is a type of life that is emanating from his very being that when he touches someone who is unclean, rather than that making him unclean, life flows through him and knocks the uncleanliness out of the one he's touching. He says to her, Talithia kumai. This is an Aramaic phrase that Mark brought directly in because I think this must have stayed in Peter's ears and he wanted him to get it right. Like this is what was said. Uh, The translation little girl is a good one. It's a pet name. And so I don't know how you hear the term little girl. Maybe this will help it. I read one pastor said this. Um, You could translate it this way. Honey, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. He grabs this little dead girl by the hand. He says, honey, it's time to get up. Verse 42, and immediately the little girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I mean, can you imagine the joy in this place? This girl is gone. The great enemy of humanity has won. Jesus says, don't freak out. I'm with you. The same faith that brought you to me to heal her. That is the same faith you need to go deeper into now that not even this is beyond my control. They laugh at him. He walks into her room. He grabs her by the hand and says, honey, it's time to wake up. And he reaches down into death. And just like the wind and the waves, when he says, not today, death bows at his command and he brings her back to life. I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm a dad of little girls, but I just, I feel the roller coaster of this man Jairus on this day. Like he, he came to Jesus hoping with a prayer that Jesus might heal his little girl. And then his little girl dies. And, and then Jesus comes and he invites Jesus into the room where her body is. And he sees Jesus do more than he ever bargained for. He sees Jesus prove that he is not only Lord of the storms, Lord of the spirit realm, but he is Lord of all that not even death exists outside of his control, that he has not come to just fix the little things or give us a little morality, but that he is the one who has come to turn death in reverse, to fix everything that's broken in the world and make it right. If he can turn death around, then what can't he turn around? See, Jerry... Jairus came looking for a great healer. Jesus gave him far more than he was bargaining for. Jesus gives him a picture where this whole thing is headed. He gives him a picture of what it's going to look like when death turns in reverse, when death gives way to life, when the grave gives up its dead. Just like the Old Testament says on repeat, God says, one day I will come and I will take from the grave my people and the grave will not have victory. And God's people will sing, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sing? Ha, ha, ha. We win. Our king wins. You lose. And they got the first glimpse of it here. Not on Easter Sunday, here. After a delay, after this strange 
in unexplainable timing. They get to see that Jesus is the one who came to undo death itself and the way that he will do this. They get the taste of it. We've seen the full picture that Jesus would go to the cross and enter into death for us. Because scripture says the wages of sin is death. God didn't make death. It's not a natural part of the world. It is a result of our sin and our choices and our brokenness. And so Jesus on the cross, the only one that didn't deserve death, the only one who is righteous and clean and holy and good on the cross enters into death for us. And as his blood is shed, it wipes away the sin of all who would ever believe. So the death loses its claim on you and me. And like this little girl, death can become for you and me no more than a nap if you trust in Jesus. And they see the first glimpse of this here in this story, it comes at the end of this section of Mark where I think he's just trying to paint this idea that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. I mean, can a great hurricane separate you from the love of Jesus? The disciples thought so, but we saw back in Mark chapter four, nope, can't separate you from the love of Jesus. He's just going to speak a word and he was with you the whole time. Okay. Can an army of demons separate you from the love of Jesus? Can they tempt you and pry you and torment you? And if they pull all their forces together, can they stop him? And we saw last week, nope, not an army of demons can't keep you from the love of God. And, and here Mark's showing us, can death itself, can the end of life where breath leaves your lungs, can that take you from the author of life? And here Mark is telling us with a resounding, no, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in life, nothing in death, nothing in creation, nothing in the spirit realm, nothing in heaven or on earth will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is the taste that Jairus gets on this crazy day here. And it took some time for Peter to understand this. Understandable. They had never seen a resurrection before. And by, by all accounts, this girl would go on to die because what scripture tells us is Jesus's resurrection is the first fruits of its kind. Jesus brings her back, but then she, like Lazarus, goes on to live and die. But through trusting in Jesus, she, like you and I, will one day get to wake again with death only being a nap. And, and so it took Peter a little while to get it, but Peter will at the end of his life write this. After seeing the death and resurrection of Jesus, after thinking on these things, after the Holy Spirit applies what he just saw to his heart, he will write at the end of his life in 2 Peter chapter 3, I believe it's verse 9, he will say, um, I'm about to die. And some of you are like, isn't Jesus going to come back? What, what's going on here? And he's like, don't worry, guys. God is not slow as some of you count slowness, but he's patient. He is bringing about a greater redemption than you could ever imagine. And so hang on, hold on to your hope. Don't fear, only believe. And that's what old man Peter says before they crucify him upside down on a cross. And I think it's because he was in the room that day. And I think he saw Jesus walk out of the grave. And I think the Holy Spirit began to ignite these things in his heart. So he can say, it sounds so easy in theory to say, guys, like, man, if Jesus doesn't operate according to your timeline, well, then don't worry because he's the God of the resurrection and he can turn it upside down. It's so easy to say that on a nice day when the sun is shining and no airplanes competing with me down here and you can all hear me. It's a lot harder to say that when the wind's blowing everywhere and there's uh, leaf blowers and you can't hear anything and 
far more seriously when something comes for someone you love. It's a lot harder to say, oh, I trust God's timing when you get that phone call that, oh, you know that greatest fear you had? It just happened. But what Peter says in the end of his life is that God's timing, it might seem slow to you, but it's not slow, it's patient. He is bringing about a greater redemption than you could ever imagine. And so let's not give in to fear. Let's trust the one that, that can do anything to make us his. And so that's what I want to leave us with is I think Jesus's words to Jairus are the words that are meant to ring in our ears. It certainly sounds like it's the words that rang in Peter's ears. I think we've all been where Jairus is in verse 35, where we get that phone call. We've been praying for someone for so long and we're not seeing the results. And we're like, God, what's up with your timing? I I have a plan. You're not following it. This seems good. You're not doing it. What's going on? And Jesus's invitation to Jairus is the same to you and to I today. Don't fear, believe. I know it's natural when you don't understand God's timing to downshift into he doesn't care or he's late or he doesn't know what he's doing. But what Jesus says here is you don't have to fear because I'm with you. And there's nothing in heaven and on earth that can ever keep you from me. And so some of you, you are, in this story, you might read this and you really identify with Jairus, that there's someone that you're praying for and that you're wondering, God, why isn't it coming through? Why? They're suffering, they're hurting. Why aren't you coming through? And what I hope will encourage you in this story is to see that Jesus hadn't forgot about this little girl and that Jesus wasn't asleep at the wheel, that Jesus's timing was everything this family needed that he was working a greater redemption than they could ever imagine. They were envisioning a healing. Jesus raises her from the dead so they could get a little bit more of a taste of who he is and what he has done. And can you imagine the confidence that left them with? And so some of you, the, the word you need to hear this morning is don't stop believing while you wait. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. He's with you. He loves to redeem. He is gracious and merciful, and full of steadfast love. So come to him. Keep praying for the people you love. Keep pressing in. It might be that he's working something in your own heart in the process, but um, even as I say that, I hope you receive that. I know that others of you, you come in here, and you don't resonate with Jairus. You resonate with the woman that we read about. Um, That for you, you are suffering right now. And you've been praying and you've been asking, God, would you take this away? Would you heal me? I know you're able. Why haven't you? And what I hope you can see in her story is that he sees you, he loves you, that he knows your pain, that he has entered into your pain to save you from the worst of it so that the worst thing that can happen to you is that you would die, rise again, and live forever in a restored world with a new body, forever with Jesus, restored to perfect relationship with other people and the world around you. That's how much Jesus loves you. And and I want to encourage you that, you know, it, it occurred to me this week, maybe somewhere in the 12 years of waiting, this woman thought, does God care about me? Maybe after 12 years of waiting to be healed, She wondered if God cared, but somehow in the waiting, God brought her face to face with the great physician who healed not only her body, but her heart, soul, and spirit in eternity. 
So if you're suffering this morning, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus with faith like this woman and say, Jesus, I believe that you can do these things. And I need you. I need you to do for me what I can't. If you're like Jairus and you're praying for someone, I think his example is a good one to invite Jesus into your home, to bring him to the person that you are praying for, to say, Jesus, would you work in their life? And to here's the big idea, to keep believing while we wait because we can trust the timing of Jesus because it might seem crazy to us in the midst of it. But when we zoom out and tell the story, we are going to tell the story with this perspective that says, look what he was doing through it all. And, and I, can't, I can't promise you that if you believe Jesus, that if you come to him in faith today, that all your prayers will be answered like that. They might be, but I don't know what he's gonna do but I can promise you this, that if you trust in Jesus, if you keep pressing and if you keep believing while you're waiting, if you keep saying, God, I want to believe, I don't want to fear, would you help me? I believe you're who you say you are. I want to trust you. If you've trusted in Jesus and someday when you breathe your last and close your eyes for the last time, you will open them again in heaven and Jesus will say, it's time to get up. It's time to get up because he has entered your death for you so that death would be nothing more than a nap for you and you will live forever with him and that glory will outshine any light and momentary suffering that we can go through here. And because he has secured our future, we can trust him with our present. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. I thank you that that you love us so much to do for us what we need, not what we always ask. And so I pray right now for my brothers and sisters right now, for every person gathered out here this morning, whatever it is where the timing seems off and there's, there's fear, I pray that you would drive out that fear with the clear vision of your son, Jesus, and what you have given us in him. I pray that you would not deny the hardships of our life, but I pray that you would help us to see that Jesus went through great hardships to give us life. And because he has done that, we can trust him to work through these things to bring what we ultimately need. So would you, by the power of your spirit, make Jesus bigger to us in this moment right now? Would you help us to respond to these moments where we feel like, where are you? What's going on? I'm not sure about your timing. Would you help us to respond not in fear that leads to freaking out and anxiety, but would you help us to respond with the type of faith that leads us closer to you even while we wait? We love you and we trust you and we thank you for what you have done to give us life. And we pray all these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.